Uh, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the coming of Christ. We thank you, Lord, for salvation that is found in Jesus alone. And Father, as we cover some prophetic sections of Daniel in the upcoming weeks, we ask that your hand would be upon us, that your grace would abound to our understanding. And Lord, help us to understand the things that you desire us to understand and that we would be content leaving mysteries alone. It's, it's okay for us not to understand everything. Father, we pray that as we go through these sections, um, that we would keep our eyes on you and that you would lead us and that our um, understanding of who you are would grow and that it would impact our daily lives. We are grateful, Lord, that you are in control of all things and we can rest in you knowing that regardless of our circumstances and the trials that we face, that all will be okay as we rest in you. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. Amen. Daniel chapter 7, verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, the king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions in his mind as he lay on his bed. Then he wrote the dream down and related the following summary of it. Father, we do thank you for your word. We ask that you would help us now. In Christ's good name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> There's so much in my mind. I, uh, I'll be talking to myself a lot today, internally. The transition from chapter seven or 6 to chapter 7 is huge. The transition from chapter 7 to 8 is another big ch- transition. Um, the first six chapters have been described as sort of historical narrative, that, that they tell the story kind, like of Daniel's life, and the, it, it, it unfolds essentially in chronological order. With, there's gaps of time, but, but, but it, it moves kind of from beginning to end. Uh, chapter 7, everything changes. We start with in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon. Now, if you remember back in chapter 5, the whole story of Belshazzar was there. It's, it's this king that was a few kings after Nebuchadnezzar. I think if my memory's right, he was the great-grandson or grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. A, a number of years had elapsed. At the end of the chapter, he was killed. The Medo-Persians had planned their attack, and the transition sort of uh, from world domination shifted from one government to the, to the next government. And so now, chapter 7 steps back in time. And, and chapters 7 through 12, it's not about chronological order. These, these are prophetic things that have been shared. Uh, some, like Charles Swindoll, has described these sort of like as the family collage. Like if you just stumble across somebody's family collage, it kind of makes no sense to you. You can kind of figure the players, but it's like... Is that grandma and grandpa, or is that like your aunt and uncle, or who, who are, like, you can tell to the people who wrote them or made them, they make a lot of sense, but they're not designed to kind of follow a, an order, um, but they're all very meaningful, and, and so there's a lot of loose ends in, in these chapters, and so we have to be okay with sort of leaving, for a guy that likes checking boxes, it, it's hard for me. 
but we have to, to leave it alone or we're going to get into trouble. And so my aim is to kind of press through Daniel and Revelation uh, with the aim of giving the big picture. I do recognize that there are essentially two groups of people in this room. There's, of course, there's more than two groups of people. But there are the people that are all jazzed up on prophecy. And you want to study this stuff, and you want to dig in, and you want to go deep, and you want to you know, fill in some of the blanks, even if you know that you're not right. But you kind of want to piece it together just for the sake of piecing it together to see if you can get the puzzle figured out. Um, I'm probably going to let you people down. So... <clears throat> because I, because I want to get the big picture, and I don't want to be dogmatic. If I get dogmatic up here, it only multiplies in the pew, and we can't get dogmatic here, or you, you go to dangerous places. And then the other group of people is there's the people there, you know, the people who aren't really concerned about these things, or you're young in your faith, and this is like the first time you've had processing this. So I don't, I don't think it does us justice as a church if we get all. Uh, muddled up in, in, in the weeds and, and, and lose sight of the whole. And so I, I want to keep the whole in mind so that at the end of the day, hopefully we as a church, at the, we can kind of see the prophetic picture a, a little bit more clearly. Um, as we go along, for those in the first group, I will provide recommended readings that can guide you and you can dig all you want. I'll provide little inserts for us to look at, to kind of help us, like I did today. Um, just going to stop there. And today we'll look at Christmas, and we're going to end with a Christmas carol, so everybody will be happy. <laughs> Melanie has candy canes in her office, <laughs> if you need more. Uh, <clears throat> so verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon. So, so we know we've stepped back. So chapter 5 is at the end of his reign. So we're somewhere between chapter 4 and chapter 5 chronologically. If we skip over to chapter 8, um, you read, in the third year of the reign of Belshazzar. So, so Daniel at the end is presenting these two visions that he had. Um, chapter 8 is difficult in its own. I was sort of planning last next week to just cover chapter 8 on its own, but sort of in my wrestling in the last 24 hours, I feel like it's best to reference both of them today and then get into chapter 9 next week. If you have this, and we can change the slide to the next one, because I know there's always a handful of you that just refuse to raise your hand to get one of these. Um, <clears throat> so up on the screen, what this is before you is... The bottom half, there's a box there. So in the first column, you see chapter 2. There's, a, there's the image that Nebi or Nebuchadnezzar, to be respectful of the king, that's the vision that he had of the statue of the various metals working its way down. Then in chapter 7, Daniel is going to get his own dream that aligns with chapter 2. No scholar argues on this. These, these dreams are identical, except different images are used. So if Nebuchadnezzar had a statue, and as the statue goes down, it was made up of various types of metals um, from top to bottom, Daniel gets four different images of different beasts that correspond. And so you see that there, so you can kind of see the big picture. Then in chapter 8, 
which I said there's a transition between chapter 7 and chapter 8. The big transition there is back in chapter 2, verse 4, the book of Daniel shifts in language. Starts out in Hebrew. Chapter 2, verse 4, it shifts to Aramaic, and it continues through Aramaic all the way through the end of chapter 28, of verse 28 of chapter 7. And then in chapter 8, verse 1, it goes back to Hebrew. And so this is like the times of the Gentiles. There's an evangelistic sort of premise to, to Daniel that, that the world would know that God, the God of the Hebrews, is sovereign over all. He raises up leaders. He takes down leaders. And in the end, he will reign and rule. And so chapter 8, a vision is given two years later to Daniel in a dream uh, that two years later from, from chapter 7, now, two additional beasts, we'll see, a, a ram with two horns, a male goat with great one horn and four horns and, and little horn. Those are two different animals that align with basically the second section of Nebuchadnezzar's dream, the second beast of the bear of chapter 7, and then the third beast and the third part of the, the thing. It's, it's dealing with the Medo-Persian Empire and the, the empire of Greece that would come and dominate the world. So you can, that's, that's essentially, this little graph is essentially what chapter 8 is saying. And so as we cover chapter 7, you, to understand that chapter 8 is almost identical, but from a Hebrew perspective, I, I feel like is good enough for me and clear conscience to, to sort of cover the both of, of them. Um, I lost a thought there. Too many files open. Okay. If you're visiting the church, welcome. You know, <laughs> we're working our way through Daniel. <clears throat> so here, young Daniel, he's a little bit older now. I mean, he's, he's, we've moved from him being 14 or 15 to now he's in his 80s. So now he's maybe in his mid-70s, seven, I don't know, somewhere in there. Um, we see verse 1, Daniel saw a dream and visions in his mind as he lay on his bed. And then he wrote the dream down and related the following summary of it. And so basically from verse 2 to verse 14, Daniel's going to rehash the vision, the dream that he had in writing. Now, some reasons why I want to caution us about becoming dogmatic about these things is verse 15. As for me, Daniel, my spirit was distressed within me. And visions in my mind kept alarming me. You go to the end, verse 28. At this point, the revelation ended. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts were greatly alarming me, and my face grew pale, but I kept the matter to myself. At the end of chapter 8, verse 27. Then I, Daniel, was exhausted and sick for days. Then I got up again and I carried on the king's business, but I was astounded at the vision and there was none to explain it. <clears throat> As we celebrate the birth of Christ, we can't ignore the Pharisees who thought they had everything buttoned up nice and neat and had all of God's plan sort of figured out and they were dogmatic and fighting over it, literally, that they killed the Messiah. They thought the Messiah was wrong about God's plan, so they killed him. 
And so we have to be very open-handed, and it's okay to have deep convictions. I have deep convictions about this. But there are my brothers and sisters in Christ who have the same convictions, who are as orthodox as I am, and as are dogmatic about the inspiration of the Word of God as I am, and they land differently on some of these things. And so we need to like humble ourselves and say, God, this is what I see. This is like, how does it affect us now? We trust you to unfold your plan. None of this is contingent on us flipping the switch for the end times and all this stuff to unfold. Um, and so Daniel's shaken up by what he sees, but he's going to explain it to us. And so we get into verse 2. Daniel said, I was looking. Now, if you are one who highlights or circles or marks in your Bible, I would circle, highlight, underline this phrase, I was looking. Um, uh, Throughout this, we'll see, I kept looking. I think it happened, well, one, two, three, four, five, six. At least six times we see this, I was looking. And so the picture is Daniel is in his dream. He's tossing and turning. He's asleep, but when you're having these dreams, you know, like you have a dream and you're just like, I, I was asleep, but it felt like I was awake. He's like in his dream and he's looking. And then he sees something, then he, it says he keeps looking. It's almost like he hits like the zoom and he, he's looking at something else. And then again, he'll say, and I kept looking. And so all of these times, he sort of shows us these, these breakouts where he tries to like zoom in within, as Charles Swindoll paints this as a collage, to look at different elements of this this picture that was unfolding in his mind. And so verse 2, I said, Daniel said, I was looking in my vision by night, and behold, four winds of heaven were stirring the great sea, and the four great beasts were coming up from the sea, and they were different from one another. And so in verse 4, he sees a vision of a lion. In verse 5, he sees a vision of a bear. In verse 3, he sees a vision of a leopard. And then verse or in verse 7, I think I got verses and numbers wrong there, so excuse me for that. Verse 4, there was one animal. Verse 5, a second animal. Verse 6, a third animal. And then verse 4 was this beast that was like beyond words. Like he didn't know how to even describe this beast other than to call it a beast. Um, so verse 4, the first was the head of gold that Nebuchadnezzar saw was like a lion, and it had the wings of an eagle, and I kept looking until its wings were plucked, and it was lifted up. I missed that, kept looking, so that's the seventh time that's there. I kept looking until its wings were plucked, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a mind, like a man, a human mind also was given to it. Verse 5, and behold, another beast, a second one, resembling a bear, and it was raised up on one side. And so, so the picture here is the commentators believe that the bear's like lopsided. Like it's left or I'm going to say I'm left-handed, so I prefer to give left side the more dominant feature. So the right side was sort of like shortened up and the left side was stronger and the bear's lopsided. The, the Medes and the Persians were very lopsided in power. And so it's thought that the reason this bear's lopsided is because you have two kingdoms that are not equally yoked sort of were, were taking over the scene. That's as much as I'll get into that. Okay, and behold, another beast, verse 5, a second one resembling a bear, and it was raised up on one side, and three ribs were in its mouth between its teeth. And thus they said to it, Arise and devour much meat. 
Verse 6, after this, I kept looking, and behold, another one, like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. Verse 7, the fourth beast. After this, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrifying, extremely strong, and it had large iron teeth. It devoured and crushed and trampled down the remainder with its feet, and it was different from all the other beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. While I was contemplating the horns, behold, another horn, a little one, came up among them, and three of the first horns were pulled out by the roots before it. And behold, uh, this horn possessed its eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth uttering great boasts. So it's okay to be like Daniel at this point. Verse 15. As for me, Daniel, my spirit was troubled within me and visions in my mind kept alarming me. I have no idea what's happening in this dream. So you're not alone. Don't, don't, like, don't worry about that. In chapter 8, when, the, when these two beasts that correspond in your chart, wherever mine is here. So when the bear and is compared or contrasted with the ram with two horns, and then the leopard with four wings and four heads is contrasted with the great goat, the thing about chapter 7 that most skeptics, those that spend their lives trying to disprove the Bible, the thing that troubles them most about chapter 7 and 8 is the detail of the prophecy. Because in chapter 8, these beasts, 600 years before the uh, birth of Christ, before these happened, remember this vision was given under Belshazzar when Babylon was dominating the world. By name, in the prophecy to Daniel, it says that this animal is the Medo-Persian Empire. And then after that, it's, the Gre- it's Greece that is being identified and, and skeptics say there's no way that prophecy can be given that accurately. This, this has to have been written after all of these things happen and then been told that it was prophecy. But it's like the Dead Sea Scrolls that were found uh, you know, some 30 years after the birth of Christ that, that they know was from before Jesus when they were hidden and they found the book of Isaiah that all the skeptics say there's no way that Isaiah 53 can be accurate because the way it's detailed, it's so detailed, just like what happened to Jesus, it can't be true. Well, when, they, when those little shepherd boys are throwing rocks into the caves and they hear the breaking glass and they find all of these documents and when the historians go in there and they research and they find the whole book of Isaiah dated from like way before the birth of Jesus and everything is laid out there it confirmed that scripture foretold it. It's, it's, it's amazing. So he describes the four beasts. We don't know anything about them. Most, like, these four sections between Nebuchadnezzar's uh, vision of the golden statue, which you have on the, the, the back of this, on the top there, you see Nebuchadnezzar's statue sort of broken out chronologically by the various kingdoms that existed. So so you have that to sort of do some studying or to further your uh, understanding of this. But then in Daniel's dream, in verse 9, 
something spectacular happens. He, he gets this vision into heaven, and in Nebuchadnezzar's dream in, in chapter 2, this was that stone that was not cut by human hands that threw down to the base of the fifth kingdom that Nebuchadnezzar has, that there's not a fifth one here, that basically decimated the whole thing. And I think Daniel gets a clearer picture here. And it's fascinating that in the whole book of Daniel, the part that's written in Aramaic, bookend of the Aramaic side is you have Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and on the other end you have Daniel's dream of the same vision or the purpose of the vision. But Daniel gets more. Verse 9, I kept looking until thrones were set up, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. This is the Father in heaven. So the Ancient of Days, this is the Father in heaven, is taking his seat to judge. Judgment is coming. And he's described in this way, his vesture, his, that's clothing. I had to Google that one. That's vesture, his clothing. I don't use vestures that often. Um, was like white snow. This speaks of his, his holiness, his purity, his righteousness. And the hair of his head was like pure wool. It was white. It speaks of eternity. It speaks of his wisdom. His throne was ablaze with flames. And this speaks of his righteous judgment. Fire always deals with judgment. Its wheels were a burning fire. A river of fire was flowing and coming out from before him. And this reaffirms that this judgment, fire, molten lava, it goes through and it purifies everything. Like, we, like California is suffering with these huge fires. Like those people don't need a description of fire. We in Valley Center don't need a description of fire. We have all seen catastrophic fire and its judgment. And it doesn't discriminate and it takes all. And then we see a river, so verse 10, a river of fire was flowing and coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands were attending him and myriads and myriads were standing before him. So here's Daniel is having this, this, this apocalyptic vision of the Father in heaven, this judgment that's about to happen. Court is about to, to happen. This language that's used Turn with me, because we're doing Revelation and Daniel simultaneously. So go over, hold your place in Daniel. It's one of my many bulletins. And go over to Revelation chapter 5. <clears throat> and I'd encourage you to just hold your spot in Revelation once you get over there. So in Revelation chapter 5, verse 11, which we did the first three chapters of Revelation, and we paused to do Daniel. When we go back to Revelation, we're going to pick up in chapters 4 and 5, and this is a scene that the Apostle, Dan, the Apostle John got of the scene in heaven. And in verse 11, at the end of this scene, of this heavenly scene that, that John is brought up into heaven to see, in verse 11, this is what he says he saw. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. It's the same picture that John and Daniel see the same picture of this God in heaven 
that's about to have court. Now go back to Daniel. Hold your place in Revelation because we'll come back there later. And in verse, well, we're going to go back there like, like, like when I said later, I mean like in 30 seconds. <laughs> and then the very end of verse 10, so we have, let me read verse 10 over again. A river of fire was flowing and coming out from before him, that's, uh, that is the ancient of days, the father of heaven. Before him, thousands upon thousands were attending him, and myriads upon myriads were standing before him. The court sat, and the books were opened. This is a judgment scene. This is a, in today's paper, I saw that this has nothing to do with it, but, but there was a, there's a judge in San Diego that her court reporter, um, it's like the longest running court reporter or court clerk that, that I guess is hired by the judge to, to run the courtroom. Like this, this court, this today is like this, that they have been serving the longest together, 30 years together. And they had a party and they're kind of talking about it. It's like, but when the judge, if you, if you ever find yourself in court, you know, for friends, not for yourself. <clears throat> it's like the judge walks into the room and that judge has all power. Like, like it's the most amount of power that you can really see in, in our culture. Everybody rises. The honorable so-and-so is coming in. You remain standing, and I dare you to do anything <laughs> to see what the bailiff will do if you try to do anything other than stand there quietly with your cell phones off while the judge enters. Then the judge sits, and then the bailiff says, please be seated. I've watched people's court a lot, so I know this. Like I, um, so this is the scene. The, the judge enters, the ancient one. He's described righteous, holy, all-powerful, takes a seat, he opens the books. If you'll turn with me to Revelation chapter 20, you're already in Revelation chapter 5, so a little bit towards the end. And in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11, <clears throat> this is at the very end of time, the end of the age. Daniel's revelation that he gets more than Daniel got, but they're very much similar. And in verse 11, this is what he writes. He says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from whose presence, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So this is judgment, those who hadn't responded to Christ. Either post-cross or before cross, it was all by faith in Christ. They, they, the people in the Old Testament, they, they didn't have the clarity that we have about the Messiah, but they had enough to respond to the Messiah's offer. So as we go back to Daniel, 
we see this judgment scene. Verse 11, probably should look at the clock. So verse 11, then I kept looking. So the scene is unfolding before Daniel in his vision. He sees these four beasts. He sees the Ancient of Days come in in his presence with fire and justice. He sits down to execute his judgment. And now in verse 11, then I kept looking because of the sound of the boastful words which the horn was speaking, and I kept looking until the beast was slain. So now we're talking about number four. This is the beast of number four that he couldn't describe like any other. He's talking about that beast. He said, I kept looking, the sound of the boastful beast, the boastful words which the horn was speaking, and I kept looking until the beast was slain. So Daniel sees this, like, this first is beast he can't see. Then these horns pop up, and then one of the horns is talking to trash or whatever, and then it's like total execution and judgment happens on this animal or beast or whatever it is that he can't quite describe. And its body was destroyed and given to the what? The burning fire. It just sounds just like Revelation chapter 20, right? And then he says, as for the rest of the beasts, those are beasts one through three that I've numbered. Their dominion was taken away, but an extension of life was granted to them for the appointed period of time. These, there's mysteries. There's, there's loose ends. I can't, don't ask me what all this means. I can't, like, the big picture, see these four animals. One, the, four one, the fourth one was exceptionally bad. Then there's three. They were destroyed, but they seem to kind of, like, linger on, and you can make, uh, you can make some guesses about that on your own time. That's great. Then we get to verse 13. Back to the heavenly scene. This judgment happened in the fourth beast. But Daniel doesn't understand what's happening. I'm, I've read ahead and I'm kind of telling you, I'm filling in the blanks to help it make it a little bit more sense to you. Um, verse 13. So I kept looking in the night visions and, and behold, with, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. This is Jesus. So you have the father who's on his judgment seat. All of a sudden, these clouds appear, and the son of man, which Daniel describes Jesus as being, he suddenly appears, and he then stands before the father. So when we celebrate Christmas, I mean, I point to the other thing. When we celebrate Christmas, and the, like, it's not Jesus's, like, he didn't come in, he wasn't born for, like, he didn't come into existence. This is... Uh, the advent of Christ, that he stepped out of heaven to earth. Jesus existed in eternity past and will always exist in the future. We as created beings are bound by time. There's, there's, there's no understanding of time for God. Like he is, he, he is. I can just stop there. And so here's the scene. Verse 14. Jesus is now the son of man who's standing before the ancient one. And to him, the Son of Man was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the people's nations and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. So you see this authority that's given to the Son by the Father. As Daniel begins to be explained... Is my English working? It's like I look at Abigail. Does that, somebody, I'm like, is there English there? Um, there's going to be this angel that explains everything to Daniel. We'll see in, chap, in chapter 8, verse 16, 
we'll see this angel is identified as the angel Gabriel. And so now I want you to turn with me, as we've just read this, and I'll reread it. But go with me to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, can anybody guess what the story's about? Christ's coming. So now we're in Luke, what are we at? Luke 1, verse 26. We're going to be introduced to a young girl, 10, 11, 12, 14 maybe, but a young, young girl, a godly girl that's engaged. And so we read in verse 26, now in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, remember, because there's John the Baptist who was six months older than Jesus. So in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel, who we'll see was also the angel that appears to Daniel. This Gabriel guy's a cool, like, this was a name that was in, like, it was going to be Gideon or Gabriel. Like, this is, like, one of the, like, this is a cool dude, like, (laughs) cool angel to be, you know. He's like God's like special messenger, like given all kind of, you know, he's outside of time. And he's like, boom, I got it, God. I'll go down and tell Daniel what's up. Elizabeth, the guy, oh, yeah, I'll take care of them too. Oh, I get married? Oh, awesome. So he's delivering all of this like super awesome apocalyptic news to everybody. So now he goes down to Nazareth. As soon as I find my place. Okay, now in the sixth month, verse 26, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was perplexed. I always cracks me up. Yeah, of course she was. Like, I'm not used to angels popping in on me, having conversations. She was very perplexed at the statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He, now, this is where we got to, you know, the teacher says, hey, pay attention to this because this might come up later. This is the part, this might come up later. Verse 32, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of, of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob, which is Israel, forever. And his kingdom will have no end. Now turn back to Daniel. And let's read again what Daniel saw. Verse 14. And to him was given dominion, glory, And a kingdom that all the people's nations, men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. God's message is the same. He he adds to it progressively in Revelation, like as a progressive revelation as we go from Genesis to Revelation. He adds to it, but it all synchronizes it all. Like what Daniel sees, he has no idea what he's seeing. But this is exactly what Mary would told. And, and before I forget to say it, in the Old Testament, always, where, where we get into danger is, is prophets see a vision. 
And it's been described as looking across and seeing the mountain peaks. So you can look across and say there's a mountain peak there, but it's actually about four or five mountain peaks, and there's these valleys that they didn't see. And then as time unfolds, it's like, oh, there, there were, Christ would come twice, his first advent and his second advent. But Jerusalem, or Israel, when they were expecting their Messiah, they were expecting the second one. They missed the whole Isaiah 53 thing. It's easy for us to sort of cast judgment on them, but we would have done exactly the same thing. And so this picture of this coming Messiah that have, would have like, an everlasting, it's just like Nebuchadnezzar is that rock that planted and then grew and then grew and then grew and never, ever, ever gave way. So he sees this verse 15. As for me, Daniel, my spirit was distressed within me. I just want to laugh and I can hear old Nebi in heaven going, See, it's not so fun, is it, Daniel, when you have these dreams? Remember, this is the dream that he had that he made all the guys come in and say, you tell me the dream and then, then interpret it for me. I'm not telling you what I saw. And I can just see old Nebby laughing at Daniel in heaven. <laughs> Told you, Daniel, it's really uncomfortable. As for me, Daniel, my spirit was distressed within me and the visions in my mind kept alarming me. I, I, I approached one of those who were standing by and began asking him the exact meaning of all of this. So somehow in his dream, the angel Gabriel, I believe, based on chapter 8, that Gabriel's going to be doing the explaining to him there, that he's able in his dream to then approach this guy that he sees to say, help me out here. By asking him the exact meaning of all of this, so he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. So verses 17 and 18, this is the description of what he saw. This is, this is really all that he was going to get from this guy. So verse 17 says, These great beasts, which are four number, are four kings who will arise from the earth. Babylon, Medo-Persian Empire, Greece, and Rome. <clears throat> you guys have the insert? You can look it up. Verse 18, the second part. But the saints of the highest one. Oh, Daniel, who have been in captivity now for, for pressing up on 70 years. The whole of Israel's captivity. That Israel would stop existing as a nation for 2,000 years. Like, I forget who it was when they say, well, how do you believe what the Bible says? And there's the, the Israel. The fact that Israel exists is a huge testimony of God's word. Like 2,000 years, it didn't exist as a, as a nation. And so this word comes to Daniel, who's in captivity. And horrible things have happened to Daniel. Horrible things have happened to his nation He's under Belshazzar, which is a horrible man. And this guy in his dream says, the saints of the highest one, Israel, will not be forgotten. It'll be okay in the end. The saints of the highest one will receive the kingdom, verse 14, Remember, the Son of Man gets his kingdom, but the saints are right there with him. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17 talks about the route where Jesus is there. We will be with him always. 
But the saints of the highest one will receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever for all ages to come. Ah, there's hope, Daniel. But Daniel can't stop there. Verse 19, then I desire to know the, the, when I said I wanted to know the exact meaning, I really wanted to know the exact meaning. And I love that we see God's grace with Daniel giving him a little bit more. But I think sometimes like this, we're like, God, I just want more. Just give me all the answers. Let me know what my future holds. Let me know what this is. Like, let me, I think it's God's grace. Sometimes he doesn't unveil everything to us. Then I desire to know the exact meaning of the fourth beast. So something about this fourth beast really captured Daniel's imagination. Then I desire to know the exact meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful with its teeth of iron and its claws of bronze, and which devoured, crushed, and trampled down the remainder with its feet and the meaning of the ten horns which were on its head and the other horn which came up and before which three of them fell, namely that the horn which had eyes and a mouth uttering great boast, which was larger in appearance than its associates. So all of that, all that I just read, Daniel's trying to explain to us what he saw. Okay, so we had the three beasts or the four beasts. He gets the interpretation, those two verses, 17 and 18. But then he says, I want to know more about this fourth beast. And then he describes in more detail. So through 20, it's just Daniel telling us, trying to explain what he saw. Verse 21, he says, I kept looking and the horn was waging war with the saints and overpowering them until the Ancient of Days came. The Father came and judgment was passed in favor of the saints of the highest one and the time arrived when the saints took possession of the kingdom. So this is that collage. So now he sees this judgment seat of the Father as he's sitting there and first this fourth beast is like wreaking havoc on the saints. There's horrible things happening. And then he says, all of a sudden, the ancient one shows up and does judgment to that guy. And then uh, the saints, they had a favorable judgment on them and things began to improve for them. Verse 23, thus he said. So now the angel is going to describe what Daniel has been trying to explain the things that he saw to this angel that he wants to know more detail about. And so now verse 23, then he said, the fourth beast will be a kingdom on the earth, which will be different from all the other kingdoms, and it will devour the whole earth and tread it down and crush it. As far as the ten horns out of this kingdom, ten kings will arise, another will arise after them, and, and he will be different from the previous ones and subdue the three kings. So I think that part of this, where the murkiness of the water, what we're talking about now, I think is still future to us. In verse 25, these are bad things. He will speak out against the Most High and wear down the saints of the Highest One, and he will intend to make alterations in times and in law, and they will be given into his hand. Key phrase here. This is like, for those of you in the first category, underlined circle, we read for a time, times, and half a time. Okay, so this is a critical phrase in Daniel as we get to Revelation. A time is a year, times is two years, and then a half a time, that's not a whole finger, but I can't. So we're talking about three and a half years. I'll cover this really quickly for those of you that care. I feel like a, a flight attendant. 
So we have the image of Nebuchadnezzar. Then we have chapter 9 of Daniel, which is coming, which is going to play into this. I'm giving you just a, a little bit. If you don't get it, don't, don't worry about it. As layers come, you'll, you'll understand. In chapter 9, Daniel's going to talk about the 70 weeks. This, this bottom line here, or the middle line, you see there's Israel. Then the head comes Babylon. That's Israel in captivity. And then the 70 weeks begin. 69 weeks go to the cross on the very bottom here. Okay? There's a valley, prophetically, that we didn't see the church age from the cross till the second coming, or the, tr- the cross to the rapture, to be precise in my understanding. And then following the rapture of the church, which I think that we see in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17-ish, and Revelation chapter 4, the very beginning when John is taken up into heaven, I believe that kicks off the 70th week of Daniel. Don't worry if you don't understand it at this point, we'll get to there. We believe that this right here, this portion, uh, the 70th week of Daniel, is split up, it's seven years split up in two halves of three and a half years. The reason I bring this up is for a time, times and a half, this verse 25. Most scholars in the camp that I come from believe that this this time, times and a half, is referring to the great tribulation, which is the second half of the tribulation. So don't freak up, freak out, because those of us who are believers, we believe that the next thing in the eschatological timeline is that the church will be taken out. Not taken out, taken up. <laughs> that sounds better. My, uh, you can interpret that a couple different ways. And so what he describes here in verse 25, he will speak out against the most high and wear down the saints of the highest one, and he will intend to make alt- alterations in times of law, and they will be given into his hand for time, times and a half. It's going to get really, really, really bad during the tribulation. That's why they call it the tribulation. And the second half of the tribulation is going to be horrible. Verse 26, but I don't think that we'll be there. So like, you know, like, but there's other views and I love those guys too and that's fine, but I, we can't cover it all. Verse 26, the good stuff. But the court will sit. The father will come. Court will sit for judgment and his dominion will be taken away. His dominion will be taken away. We're talking about the fourth beast, this terrible beast annihilated and destroyed forever, done away with. The games will be over. Revelation paints the picture that the beast, when Jesus comes to enter into the millennial kingdom, you'll have to be a believer. Satan will be bound sort of in jail, for those of you that know jail and prison, the distinction. And for a thousand years, Satan, this fourth beast, will be bound until the very end in chapter 20 when we saw that he'll be uh, taken, he'll be transferred from jail, see the judge again, and then he'll be transferred into pr- to, to prison for his permanent sentence. So this is what we see, verse 26. And by covering this now, we can fly through a little bit of Revelation. So second group, you're welcome. First group, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> um, <clears throat> but the court will sit for judgment, verse 26, and his dominion will be taken away, annihilated, destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty the dominion and the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole earth will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and 
All dominions will serve and obey him. This is why we rejoice at the coming of Christ. This is the one. This is baby Jesus. It's not just some cute little baby that's, oh, now I get, I get gifts. It's the worst birthday ever. It's his birthday and everybody else gets gifts? Like, what? like, we have so stripped the power and awe of Christmas away to fit into our culture. And I love Christmas as the, as the rest of the next guy. But what we're celebrating, we celebrate the advent, the coming of Christ, because we're looking forward to his second coming, the real coming, where he's going to reign and rule forever, which the Bible describes here. The Jews, when they looked for their Messiah on Palm Sunday, when they were waving their palm branches, this is the Messiah from Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, that they were awaiting. They just didn't see that he would come in humility first to pay the penalty of our sin. It's a beautiful thing. In verse 28, at this point, the revelation ended, and for me, as Daniel, I had to take a nap because I was like overwhelmed. <laughs> my thoughts were greatly alarming to me, and my face grew pale, and I kept the matter to myself. Like, what do I do with this dream? Don't worry, Daniel, just hold on to it. Another, I mean, you're going to get another one in three years, and then something's going to happen to Belshazzar, and you're going to be used to kind of confront him, and then you just document it. And as history unfolds, God will give more to his people. And so what do we do with this? Christmas is upon us. I love it. Like it's, I love Christmas time. Like it's fun. There's food. There's singing. There's desserts. There's movies that I love watching. Like I, there's Christmas. Like I could go on and on about like Christmas. It's so much fun. The Jews longed for their king. This great image that is described here to come. We are awaiting him still. And for these things to unfold, and this is the king that we can rest easy when hard things like Scott describes. I'm going through the same thing. One of my very best friends, his wife is dying of like, like brain cancer like that John McCain had. And she's in bed and will never sit up again. And they're just waiting until she passes. And how do we reconcile this? This isn't all. This is just a, 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 a flash in the pan, a time quick that we can, we can adjust how we'll spend eternity. We weren't created to die. Sin entered the world. Death crept in. And so when we're faced with death, it doesn't compute now. But the Bible tells us that there's a God who's sovereign over all, that he sent his son to live the perfect life, that he died for us his work on the cross was sufficient for each and every one of us. And my prayer is that as we celebrate Christmas this year, as we rejoice at the baby Jesus, as we take in all the festivities, that we as followers of Christ would understand who this baby Jesus is. We're going to end with singing a song. Thank you, Don, for willing to throw in a Christmas song at the very last minute. But it dawned on me in the middle of this week that chapter 7 and 8 and all of this about his coming, it's Christmas. And we're going to sing, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. It's, it's a Christmas song that's crying out for the Messiah to come. Listen to the words. O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. Who was in captivity? Israel. I always get the dates wrong, but I believe it was 1947. 
was that the Dead Sea Scrolls or was that Israel? I always get those two dates wrong. Let's just say the 40s. <laughs> yeah, I think it's in the 40s. That Israel? 48, yeah, 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 I was close. Yeah, things, 48, yeah, I was good. Within a year? <clears throat> like, come ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appears. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come to the... the O come, thou day spring. This means like the ultimate sunrise, that, that when God comes to earth, it's the ultimate sunrise that we've never seen before. Thou day spring, come and cheer our spirits by thine advent, his arrival. Here, disperse gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight. O come, thou wisdom from on high, and order all things far nigh. To us the path of knowledge show and cause in her ways to go. O come, desire of nations, bind all peoples in one heart and mind. Bid envy, strife, and quarrels cease. Fill the whole world with heaven's peace. This is exactly Daniel chapter 7, verses 14, 15. And to him was given dominion glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Oh God, we thank you for the coming of Christ. We rejoice that Jesus stepped out of heaven, came to earth to live the perfect life for us, that he might go to the cross to absorb the wrath of the Father, the judgment that was due us for our sin. And that as his, your, the Father's wrath was poured out on the Son on the cross, all of the world's sin was paid for, past, present, and future. He absorbed it for us. And then he offers us this life, not forcibly, but as a gift. The reason that we celebrate Christmas. And so, Father, as we look at the baby Jesus during this season of our, uh, of our year where we sing Christmas carols and we focus on the baby Jesus, Father, I ask that you would help us to keep the image of Daniel chapter 7, this glorious picture of heaven, in our minds. Father, for those of us who haven't received this king as their savior, I pray that you would help them to connect the dots that they need, that they would be able to trust in him. And Father, for those of us who have received Jesus as our savior, we ask that you would help us to keep a big view of him, that he is the creator of the world, that he is coming for us again. Father, we pray that you would help us to rest in your sovereignty, that we would trust you through the ups and downs of life, which will come. And ultimately, Lord, we thank you for death because by leaving this fallen body, we are able to enter into your glorious presence in a way that we can never fully comprehend in this life because our sin separates us from you. So we long for that day that we are given new bodies free of sin, free of uh, the second law of thermodynamics where we can freely worship you into eternity. We love you, Father, and it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen.